Yes, but I, like I said, I've actually done some prep, uh, some research, found some some in, really interesting tidbits, tidbits, right. tidbits, tidbits. <laughs> maybe, maybe I've been googling some tidbits as well, but that's another story. Good morning, Vietnam. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Movie Scramble podcast. I say welcome back because we've been in a little hiatus since Mary's 30th birthday party, where I think she is still recovering from. Speaking of Mary, she is not with myself and John tonight, as she is on holiday yet again. Yes. How she does it, I don't know. But not to be fair, to be fair, this is actually a birthday present from her fiancé. That's right, in case you didn't know, Mary is now off the market, so everybody can just back off. Anyway, John, how are you? Very well, yes. I've uh, been watching lots of movies and uh, watching a fair amount of TV, catching up and stuff as well. But yes, having a, a good time of it, looking forward to our discussion and obviously looking forward to the next couple of weeks as well. So... I've got a few uh, movie things planned for then as well. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting uh, month of October, I think. And it's good that we're going, we're back on that particular horse with the podcast and everything as well again, which is always very nice to just get chatting with uh, like-minded people. Indeed. So you're busy in October. Film-wise, what is it you're up to? I am going to the Sitches Film Festival, based in Sitches in Spain. It's in its 52nd year. It's uh, classed as a fantastic film fest. Basically, it's fantasy, horror, anything sort of supernatural. We even threw in some thrillers and things like that as well. I've been going the last couple of years. This is my third year there. uh, And I'm planning to see 40-odd films uh, through the course of about nine, ten days. I've booked a a fair amount of them, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. It should be particularly good. About 85% of the stuff that I'm going to see I've never heard of before, which is always a good sign. And there's obviously uh, some major talent that's going to be there. Sam Neill is getting honoured at the festival. William Friedkin is going to be there. They are showing uh, In the Tall Grass. The new Netflix film, that's the opening film, it's uh, Vincenzo Natale. His new movie, I don't know if you saw his last one, Splice, from um, a couple of years back. No, I don't think so. No, it's good, nice, uh, cracking me sort of sci-fi horror film. It's very nice indeed, and he's done uh, like Westworld and a few bits and pieces in television and things like that. He's a very good director, Very, uh, he's got a very uh, good eye and he knows how to handle a budget quite well as well. So, you know, he gets things made and it always looks really good. But yes, yeah, so I'm going to be over there spending a bit of time with my uh, in-laws who stay out there. And I'm hoping, to, as I say, I'm hoping to see lots of movies and come back paler than I actually go out, which is quite something for going to Spain, 25 degree heat. So, yeah, should be good. It was also something good there until you mentioned staying with your in-laws. And is that... 
part of the horror theme. Oh, <laughs> gone okay with him. Oh, I've gone very well with him, and I'm going <laughs> to say that anyway, am I? <laughs> it's, but you can tell me how you really feel when uh, I stop recording. Yeah, I, you'll say we'll stop recording, but you'll, you'll take it down as evidence for use later anyway. This is actually 100% true. <laughs> so, as John was mentioned there, he's seen some stuff recently. I haven't seen a great deal, and we're going to review at Chapter 2. Now, we are very, very aware that this is hardly a new release. It's been in the cinema for the last few weeks. However, we have been trying to get this podcast done for the last few weeks. Just life's got in the way. We really want to discuss it because we both have similar and very different opinions. The Losers Club have all left Derry, apart from Mike, played by Isaiah Mustafa. He's decided to stay behind and keep an eye on Pennywise just in case he comes back. A couple of decades later, he does. So the Losers Club are called back to Derry to finish what they started, but things aren't necessarily what they remember. Bill Skarsgård, of course, returns as the demonic and evil Pennywise. I absolutely loved this film. There was many things about it I thought were better than the first one. There was some scares I thought were absolutely terrifying. Bill Skarsgård totally outdone himself and his performance. I just absolutely loved it from start to finish. It was long, but to me it never felt long. It was quite faithful to the book in terms of the plot, which I think lost a lot of people who maybe weren't familiar with how it turned out. I'd I'd like to go and see it again. I just absolutely loved it. I thought it was excellent. But John, I know you enjoyed it, but not necessarily as much as myself. No, uh, I don't think I did. The first film I loved, I thought the, the way that they split the story... Uh, along the the lines of the different age groups rather than the book, which mixed everything up. There was a sort of a back and forth in the book, whereas the the films definitely planted it 27 years ago and sort of present day. It worked really well for the first film. It all seemed very fresh there, and it was a lot tighter in the first film as well. The running time was slightly less, I believe. I think maybe just over two hours, the first Mm -hmm. film. This one is two and three quarter hours now, it should have been a lot shorter than that. It definitely should have. Uh, I I know what you mean when you say about it followed the, the storylines in the book more closely, which was a good thing. But that was also to the detriment of the film as well, I thought. Uh, I liked the way it opened. I thought the, the, the very brutal homophobic attack at the beginning really set it up you you really didn't know what to expect from there on and then it went straight from that into basically as you said mike getting everybody back together and where they were all at and what they were doing which was again really really good the the way they introduced the characters and the way that they tied it back to their the younger selves you know you've got to credit the actors they they did a really really good job of taking the the traits of the younger actors and uh, bringing them to sort of adulthood, doing that, I thought that was fantastic. And then it brought them all together for, uh, well, it's no real spoiler, I think it's in the trailer, that brought them in to, together for a dinner scene. But after that was where it kind of it, it lost its way a wee bit as far as I was concerned because it split everybody up again. When everybody was working together and they were all there was a dynamic of them all having dinner and everything together, 
it works really well. Bill Hader, man, he he totally stood out for me. He was fantastic yeah. in this film. But when they all had to go and do separate things, then in order to come back together, I thought it kind of lost its way. Now, I know that's part of the story and how the book actually unfolds, but there were certain elements uh, within the film that weren't taken directly from the book or it was there was bits and pieces that were ignored from the book. Uh, I felt that, you know, they, they could maybe have shortened that because it only really came to life again when everybody was back together again. Some of the scares, as you say, you, you were obviously more involved, if you like, if you like when uh, the, all the, the scares and everything, but there was, there was the wee, a wee bit of repetition there as well. It, it just didn't feel as fresh as the first film. Now, I think that's probably my expectations based on the first film more than anything else, but I don't think it quite lived up to the same standard. Now, what I'm saying here is pretty picky and pretty minor. It was a good film. It's better than, like, what, 60-70% of the films I've seen this year, but uh, the bar was set fairly high for the first one. It's interesting you saying that, but it not feeling as fresh. Now, I do agree with that. It didn't feel as fresh. And to me, though, the film could, it could have been filmed back-to-back for the first mm. one in terms of the tone. And I know it was a different cinematographer, but the, even the look of the film was very similar. Mm-hmm. And to me, because I just obviously if you watched it as one just big film, it'd be very, very long. You could cut it down to a miniseries, for example, and it'd just be like a continuous story from start to finish in terms of uh, production. Yes. I do agree with the kind of freshness of it, but that didn't have an impact for me because as a sequel, it did exactly what I expected to do. Mm-hmm. And they do go into the explain they do explain Pennywise's origin, the origin of it. Which yes. is something obviously not done in the first film and kept very much a surprise to the second one. And I can see a lot of criticism for the idea of, you know, you've explained this too much and now it's taken away a lot of kind of mystique in the myth of it. However, it, it had to be done in my opinion. And I think considering how out there the source material is and how difficult that is to adapt, I thought it did really well in explaining it and making it uh, palatable for a film audience because if they tried to take it, just left that directly. And I believe there's some deleted scenes, again, I'm not going to go into detail, some deleted scenes taken that might melt people's heads. <laughs> what did you think of the, the character development? Because obviously you're getting characters that are coming back after 27 years. Now, there was very little sort of backstory to some of the the ones outside of uh, Jessica Chastain and Bill Hader. They were they kind of got the best. Even James McAvoy didn't get that much of a, his backstory. But and things seemed to be picked up and taken for a wee while, and then there was certain elements of it dropped without very much ceremony at all. It just seemed to say, well, we're not really interested in that because there was the whole issue, like uh, obviously Ben, who. Uh, He's no longer like a, a wee fat guy anymore. He's obviously grown up. And I remember from the, the book, there was a whole story behind that. Now, I think that all was explained uh, during sequences in the book where they all had to split up and go and do their own thing. But And obviously didn't have time for it here. But I, th- I think it, it was to the detriment of the film that they didn't actually have uh, at least a an element of their their backstories and why they are actually the people they are. 
What's interesting, I really liked uh, the the actor that played Ben. I think it was Ryan James. No, sorry, Jay Ryan. Sorry. Yeah. If he played him, he's like a TV actor, like known for like Home and Away or something. He's, I thought he did really well. But interesting enough, you kind of mentioned that kind of character development with him because John Rutter played uh, the adult Ben in the miniseries, mm-hmm. and they have a cracking scene. It's during the dinner scene. Yeah. He basically explains why he lost all the weight. Yes, and it's yes. just it's just total exposition, and it worked. It was kind of missing for this, and maybe that was his reason. Maybe the thought it just was too much exposition. But again, James McAvoy, his role didn't require that big a name. And you could even argue the same thing with Jessica Chastain. They're mm-hmm. the two biggest actors in the film, yep. and they weren't stars. Now that's also a massive like nod to the filmmakers that they got two actors of that caliber in. And went, by the way, guys, you're not really the stars in this film. You're just this, you're an ensemble piece. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, Bill Hader, who's a breakout star. Yeah, yeah, oh, definitely. Yes. Uh, I, I was really surprised at just how well he came across. Now, you really shouldn't be surprised because it's always, it always said that comedy is far more difficult to do than straight drama. So yeah. if you can pull off comedy really well, then you should be able to pull off straight drama. And it's, it's been shown time and again really good comedians going into more dramatic straight roles if you like so it shouldn't have been a surprise but it always is and yeah he was phenomenal i just thought he he did steal a lot of the scenes he was in obviously a very stiff competition because if you if you look at uh, jessica chastain's body of work she is very rarely anything other than excellent in yeah. any role that she plays you know and she was actually the uh, the lead actor in this she was the she was the top build actor, uh, and as you say, yes, it was more of a an ensemble piece than anything. Did seem to work. Uh, another thing that seems to be uh, polarizing people is some of the special effects. Now, I've got a wee theory about this. Uh, obviously, oh, it's it's no real secret, and it's it's not really a spoiler that Pennywise feeds off of fear. That's what his, his MO is. He tries to scare people as much as possible. Now, with some of the, the CG elements in this film, without going into any sort of details at all, they, they looked a wee, bit, a wee bit shonky, a wee bit weird. But I think it's trying to put them back into the state that they were in when they were children by giving them reference points. There's, there's like a, a reference point to uh, The Thing, yeah, in one of the scenes, and it looks very much like a a monster from something like that. And there's a, a couple other ones, and it looks like sort of very standard eighties horror movie cliches, if you like. It, it works very well, but um, I think it's sort of playing into the the fact that he's trying to scare them as if they're they're children again because they're they're starting to learn about their past because when they moved away they forgot everything and now they're moving back and everything's starting to sort of come back to them and as their memories come back the old fears come back so therefore what he projects onto each of them is sort of memories of them being a child and what scared them as a child and there's something that they haven't really had to deal with because they've forgotten about it so therefore it's all the more scary Maybe that is the case, or maybe it's just really rubbish CG. I'm not I didn't like it. sure. There's another bit uh, regarding uh, Richie and Pennywise, and I thought the scene was going to be ridiculous when it started, and it turned out for me to be one of the scariest parts of the movie. Yeah. 
and that really kind of surprised me because I thought this is ridiculous. And I was like, hold on a minute, actually, this is pretty terrifying. Mm-hmm. And although we did say Bill Hader does steal kind of most of, if not the whole show, Bill Skarsgård is just, he's ridiculously good. <laughs> it really is. I mean, it's his movements, it's the way he can, uh, his facial expressions, how he walks, his mm-hmm. voice. Yeah. He was filling big clown shoes, so to speak. Absolutely. Uh, but it came to like, um, that many series for all its faults had an iconic character in Tim Curry's portrayal. Bill Skarsgård does something totally his own, though, and it's just absolutely iconic in its own right. And I think it's dead fresh in people's mm-hmm. minds. Give it a few years, maybe 10 years of that, and people will really appreciate that performance. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I was listening to an interview with James McAvoy and he was talking about how Skarsgård actually uh, prepares for the role and like they, they do a take and then he goes away and when they're getting ready to do the second take he's you know they try to get Bill Skarsgård to do it and he's in bits because he's putting so much effort both physically and mentally into actually uh, inhabiting that clown role that he finds it difficult to get back into it and you know to go back and forward into it because it's not something you can't just slip into it seamlessly because it's such a physical transformation he does the way they contorts himself and the way that he he, oh, he, he just is creepy as hell man he just really, really is he really is <laughs> speaking of actors though do you know uh, Isaiah Mustafa is the old spice guy I did know that, yes. Uh, he looks slightly different. He's not quite as bulked up. No. Obviously, he's, we- he's wearing clothes and he's not on a horse, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did I did read that beforehand. Uh, he-, he was good. Very sort of troubled kind of a character because obviously he stayed and he basically, as you said, he was there to monitor and make sure that Everything stayed the same, and he was the one who was sort of carrying the the weight of the world on him at all times because he knew what was happening. And when uh, things uh, started to go pear shaped, he knew exactly what it was. There was some wee bits that he was involved in that it was to do with the the backstory of yeah. Pennywise and how he came about and all that, and it just came seemed to be kind of shoehorned in there. It, there was no. Well, I did this and I did that. It was just suddenly, oh, and then I met the Indians. And you're going, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but you could understand why they did it that way, because it, would, uh, it had all to do with uh, Pennywise's origins. And again, we're, we're kind of skirting around uh, yeah. spoilers here. Uh, not really want to give anything away. Basically, people should see the film, I think. It's no surprise for me that it's a recommend, John. Oh yeah, I would definitely recommend it. I've got reservations, obviously, as I've said, but oh, it's definitely worth a watch. Absolutely, yeah. Two recommends. Go and see it. Let us know your thoughts on our Twitter, the Facebook, and whatever else you use social media. We're interested to know what you think. Like I said, it's a very polarising film. Let us know and we'll tell you how wrong you are. <laughs> yeah, we're good at that, aren't we? But you know what they say about Derry? Hmm. No one who dies here ever really dies. Since we are talking about Stephen King, we took to social media and we asked you what your favourite Stephen King adaptions were. We've got our top three. The way we're picking the list these days, we're doing a draft pick. 
And the reason I'm explaining this is because it's going to get to that stage when someone's going to write in, they're going to like attack me in the street and say, why did you not pick this film? I know you love this film. And it's going to be, oh, John picked it first. It gives everybody a chance to uh, get in at least one of their favourites, whereas sometimes you may end up picking stuff that you may not necessarily know as well. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's worked well so far, but once Mary comes back, I'm sure she'll try and mess up the whole system that we've created, which is absolutely fine. Yeah, yeah. we, we, we tried this in the group chat a few weeks ago, and uh, Mary just picked her top three. <laughs> and we're like, no, that's not how it works. That's not a draft pick, is. Come on. My first pick, uh, when I looked at the, the body of work that Stephen King has actually produced, and um, all the adaptations that he's done, there was obviously a, a clear standout in terms of popularity and just sheer enjoyment, and that's the Shawshank Redemption. It's one of the best love films from the 1990s. It's always in and around the top spot of the IMDb top 250 films. It's quite a interesting history as well. It comes from a Stephen King novella, uh, Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. Uh, it was made by Frank Darabont uh, with Tim Robbins as Andy Dufresne and Morgan Freeman as Red, the old timer um, in the prison. Basically, Dufresne gets sent to jail for a crime he says he never committed. He was framed for it. Over the course of decades, he basically finds a way to survive and make life palatable for himself and everyone around him uh, within the Shawshank Penitentiary. It's one of these films that did okay upon its initial release. It didn't do great business. I think it basically broke even and no more. But the word of mouth on VHS, DVD and then television made it into basically a bit of a phenomenon. It's possibly... King's least sort of uh, horror, fantasy inflected film. This is a very, very sort of straight story, but it's just a fantastic story in that. Uh, what you get is uh, Tim Robbins at the top of his game, Morgan Freeman, who does the narration. I mean, let's face it, you can listen to Morgan Freeman speaking all day. It's just really, really good. It's a long film, but it never seems to hang about. It, it tells you everything you need to know. And there are so many iconic scenes and moments in this film. Basically, the two that stand out for me are the, the Marriage of Figaro scene, where he plays the music over the tannoy and everybody stops. And you hear Morgan Freeman saying, I don't know what those Italian ladies were singing about, you know, and I don't really want to know. It's just absolutely amazing. And then there was the other one, where uh, they're basically tearing a roof and the, the guards are having a, a, a discussion about an inheritance and he goes up to the main one, played by Clancy Brown, and says, do you trust your wife? <laughs> he <laughs> gets thrown off the roof. <laughs> it's just fantastic. There's very little that you can say sort of negatively about this film. Uh, acting's really good, the direction's really good, and like the whole surrounding, I think it was a, an actual old prison that they... Uh, did all the filming in as well. Just, it's piece of, uh, it's not quite genius, but it's not very far off as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I, I would say uh, it's probably a film that wouldn't even be in my top 10, but I would never grudge anybody for having it mm -hmm. in the top three. It's, it's brilliant and it probably is 
Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, grudge anybody calling it genius. I wouldn't disagree with them. Mm-hmm. It's a yeah, great yeah. film. It's a film I, can, I, I can't really find much flaw with it. Cool, cool. So, what's your first pick? I'm going to go for It Chapter 1. Good choice. And this is something that, since watching it again recently in Blu-ray, it's maybe even my favourite remake mm. ever. I just absolutely love this film. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Um, for those of you that don't know what it's about, we have discussed it earlier on the podcast. So I'm not going to spend too much time um, regarding that. But, yeah, I mean, everything about it, just from that kind of... Stranger Things vibe almost, which is kind of slightly ironic being that Stranger Things is influenced by Stephen King, Spielberg and stuff, and it kind of comes full circle in its own way. It's a very, very effective horror film. It is terrifying. Again, Bill Skarsgård, his debut is Pennywise. You don't know what to expect from it. You're not real too sure how he's going to be compared to Tim Curry, and when you first see him, you realise he's not going to emulate him. He's got his own thing on it. Taking away the horror element of it, it's got that stand-by-me kids' adventure feel to it as well. And these themes run parallel throughout the film. You forget about the clown. You forget mm-hmm. this kind of horror umbrella hanging over the place. And then when it all comes together, it's just... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, as we said, Bill Skarsgård, he basically stamps his own authority on it in the first five minutes. Yeah, soon as, as soon as you see his eyes and you go, whoa, this is something a wee bit different. It's, yeah, great choice. Really, really good. Yep. And it's a, it's a film as well that was languishing in development hell for so long that Stephen King even at one point said it probably won't get made. Mm-hmm. But uh, the closest it got to getting made before Andy Machete eventually directed it was when Carrie Fukunaga was mm-hmm. attached and he had Will Poulter Cassis Pennywise, and I remember reading that and thinking that's an excellent choice. Yeah, because oh, he's a great actor. It'll be interesting what he can do. But new director, new cast, and it's understandable. And the time the film did come out, there was a lot. Of, I think there's a lot of reservation. There was just too much studio involvement, mm-hmm. too many attempts to get it off the ground. There had to be a reason why it kept failing. And yeah, just absolutely outstanding, brilliant film. Yep, excellent. Yeah, yeah, good choice. My second choice is The Green Mile. Again, comes from same director, Frank Darabont. It's a long movie, this one. It's over three hours long. And it it's, again, what you were saying like with it, Chapter 2, it doesn't feel like it. It flows so nicely. Uh, basically, the story is Tom Hanks leads a group of uh, prison wardens and they uh, look after all the prisoners on death row called the Green Mile and a new introduction gets brought in and this guy uh, played by Michael Clark Duncan uh, is massive he's he's like a shed he's like the side of a shed walking <laughs> in there he's so big but yet he's, he's accused of uh, child murder and rape and uh, he is basically one of the most gentlest souls that you could ever possibly meet. And there's a there's something about him. There's a way that he carries himself and a way that uh, he interacts with everyone. And there's something otherworldly about him. And basically the film is the interactions between the prison guards and some of the prisoners. And 
this uh, gentle giant, if you like. There are supernatural elements to it. There is very sort of realistic elements because obviously you're talking about people who are sitting in a cell waiting to die. It's just a phenomenal piece of work. Again, it it kind of cemented the fact that Stephen King can cover so many different genres. He doesn't necessarily, I know he's known primarily as the horror guy, but when he writes some of these stories, it's just all to do with character and how they come across. Tom Hanks was perfect casting in the film as well. It's just, it's, it was basically just a beautiful piece of work. Now, I watched this film, it must have been the best part of a decade ago. I was looking for a film to watch with my kids and my kids at the time were, they were around about maybe 11 and eight, I think they were. And I thought, well, watch The Green Mile. That's, it's a nice film should be okay. So we sat and watched this film and they were sitting either side of me and they never made a sound through the whole entire film. And then uh, towards the end, where there's the, the whole climax of it and there's the, the big reveal about what um, the, the gentle giant can do. I, I looked at both of them and they were both sitting there crying. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, bubbling away because it was just, it raised such emotions. You get so involved with these characters. You just... Uh, you, you identify with them right away. They're completely yeah. different. They're in a situation that's completely different to anything that you could possibly imagine, but yet you identify with them and you feel for them and feel for what they're going through. And obviously with the fact that I've just uh, like outed my kids as being real softies <laughs> <laughs> as well, but uh, it, it kind of, it's a sort of a pure reaction to uh, that type of film and, yeah, it's just it's just beautiful. It's just really good. Yeah, I mean the the climax of that film would bring a tear to a glass eye, as they say. Yeah, it's it's completely engaging, and it just sucks you in from the start and just keeps you engrossed. And yeah, yeah, a great choice, absolutely, absolutely mm-hmm. great choice. Okay, your second one. I have went for the Running Man, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Nice. Yeah, I, love, I love this film. I think it's absolutely. I think it's so underrated. <laughs> this was written by Stephen King uh, under the pseudonym of Richard Bachman. And to be fair, the film is very, very loosely based on the novel. I read the novel a few years ago, and I was surprised how different it was. I still enjoyed it, mm-hmm. but I was a little surprised how much liberty they had taken <laughs> with the source material. For those not aware of the story, it's set in 2019 where Arnold Schwarzenegger plays Ben Richards, a police helicopter pilot framed for a massacre he did not do. Once he escapes from prison, he is recaptured, only to be entered into the Running Man game show, an ultra-violent TV show where psychotic gladiators hunt down convicts who basically had to fight for their freedom. I think about this film as well is, for the time, in the 1887, it's an army cheesy action flick. Fast forward to now, it's actually more relevant than it's ever been. It's just, it's one of these movies you think at the time you're watching, oh, that will never happen. But yeah, we're we're there. We're absolutely there, man. (laughs) I mean, I've I've watched stuff like The Catch a Predator and you think, yeah, but we're not far off by just um, putting people on TV to be killed. Mm -hmm. Yep. There was some interest. Obviously, the the film was directed by Paul Michael Glazer, 
yes. of Starsky and, Hutch, uh, Starsky and Hutch fame. Apparently he was brought in maybe three or four weeks before the production was set to kick off. The original director uh, had got fired and they brought him in. Now, Arnold didn't like him at all because he'd never really directed a, a feature film before. He came from a television background and he thought that the ideas he was putting across were sort of very sort of small screen and very sort of basic, but they seemed to get through it as well. Um, another thing was that um, you mentioned uh, the sort of the gladiators when they pitched for the American Gladiators program. They basically said it's like the Running Man, but without the killing. That's incredible. <laughs> That's brilliant. It's just unbelievable, isn't it? That actually that informed real life, if you like, or real television. It's interesting you say, I mean, you're saying there about like um, Arnie kind of clashing with the director over kind of having TV ideas. Yeah. I mean, that kind of actually makes the film work in a way because it's supposed to be a TV show. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I love this go The Running Man. Mm-hmm. It's that 80s kind of sim stuff, but it's got such, such melancholy to it. Yeah, yeah. There's a, like, as you said, it is a. It's been tailored for Schwarzenegger, but there are elements to it which actually makes it sort of stand out. It's it's something a wee bit different for him, but you can you can understand why he was wanting to sort of protect his his own image. He's got you know the Schwarzenegger IP to look after, if you like. So he didn't want to be involved in a film that was going to maybe detract from the fact. Because if you think about it, at the time he was at the top of his game. He was. He was right up there, you know. He'd, he'd, he'd already done the first Terminator film, and I think Predator wasn't too far behind. So, you know, he was obviously quite invested. I always find it quite interesting when actors you don't don't really think of as having such great influence over their material. But you know, Schwarzenegger was one of these guys. He he really was like heavily involved because I suppose it's it's his name. Above the title, isn't it? Exactly. And speaking of that, if anybody out there has not read Arnold Schwarzenegger's biography, but is interested in film, I'd highly recommend it. The thought process it goes into the way he makes movies and stuff like that. He gets a bad reputation for being this big, muscle-bound, daft actor. You see his thought process, how he can like, approach his films, roles. He's a lot more talented than acting he's given credit for. Mm-hmm. And one of the standouts for The Running Man for me is Richard Dawson as Killian, the game show host. Mm-hmm. Just, he just has so much fun in that role. He's so yeah. punchable and smug. Yeah, they're big personalities and confrontational. It's it's a cross between the game show host and uh, a sort of no. a Fox News pundit, something like that, that kind of idea. Aye, you've nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. Oh, well, that's and the first. He, Here's an interesting wee thing regarding the director as well. He also directed Kazam, the ah. genie film starring Shaquille O'Neal. The reason I mention that is not because I've got a particular affection for the movie, but you've heard of the, have you heard of the film Shazam starring Sinbad? Yes, yes yeah. I have, yeah. The film doesn't exist. <laughs> right. and people like to use this film as evidence of the Mandela effect where parallel universes are sometimes colliding Yeah, we have false memories as opposed to just thinking no I'm getting mixed up with that film Kazam mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> if you don't know about the Sinbad thing and Shazam, google it fall down the rabbit hole and don't blame me <laughs> 
Very good. Nice. My third and final pick is Carrie. Carrie was the first book that Stephen King that he wrote and uh, got published. He sold the rights for two and a half thousand dollars. A decision he says that he's never once regretted because the, the film, as well as the book, totally put him on the map and uh, marked him for being uh, one of the the big authors of uh, this generation. Basically, the the film directed by uh, Brian De Palma. Uh, is the story of a young girl who is just starting to reach puberty and as well as discovering the changes in her body, she discovers that uh, she has certain powers, namely telekinesis. And as these powers start to come out, she uh, finds that suddenly people are being really nice to her at school. Uh, she was a loner. She, she's always laughed at especially in the, the, the very opening scene of the film where uh, she's in the shower and she discovers she's having her first period. And it's just, it's it, it's a, a really good introduction to the movie because it starts off quite light. Uh, the, the shower scene's all, it's all misty and everything. And she's obviously very happy. She seems quite contented in herself. And then it just basically flips and she's in this horror situation where everybody's laughing at her and she's just, does not know what's going on. The performances in this are worthy of note. Uh, we've got Sissy Spacek in a reasonably early performance as Carrie. Her mum is uh, Piper Laurie, who is uh, basically a religious zealot. Everything has got to do with God and Jesus, and she hates she hates um, the fact that the man that she married turned out to be a drunk and would only touch her when uh, he'd been drinking and that's how she got conceived. Uh, so Carrie got conceived in the first place and everything's got to do with religious icons and things like that which are dotted about the house. There's a uh, reference to, to, I think it's Sebastian, St. Sebastian. You see that quite early on and then that's actually played out uh, in the closing scenes as well in a slightly and more horrific way. Um, Sissy Spacek is just amazing in this film. She, because she is an outsider and just the way she looks, she's quite small. She's thin. She she holds herself in quite a strange way. It's almost as if she's possessed, but she obviously not. But there's just the the, the way she holds herself. It just marks her out from being. Uh, like everybody else around her, because everybody else there's all these wholesome American teens from the seventies. I mean, I mean, one of them's John Travolta, for instance. That's you know, right. I mean, he's supposed to be a teen, but I think he's about twenty-three or something. You know, <laughs> <laughs> he is quite old, isn't it? De Palma is obviously a fantastic director, and he sort of stages it in such a way that you you get these fantastic scenes between the the mother and daughter, and their interaction informs Carrie's state of mind, which she tries to sort of put to the side when she's maybe making friends with people, but obviously they've got ulterior motives because they want to basically abuse her and make fun of her, and it all leads up to this 20, 30 minute climatic sequence at the prom. And then, obviously, there's the, the wee sort of coda after that, which uh, basically informed most of the 80s horror films. I think this is pretty much responsible for uh, the rise in popularity of these sort of shocking uh, horror films that came out of the major studios in the uh, the early, early to mid-80s as well. It was kind of a blueprint. They saw that and they said, 
I could do that. You know, I can I can take the scares from this film and I can apply it to my own medium or my own story or whatever. Uh, and a lot of them did with varying degrees of success, I must say. There was some very good ones and some very bad ones, but I think this is probably one of the first ones. It's it's arguable, though, there are, there was so many films on it at that time in terms of horror films, but that one seems to stand out. A lot of it's got to do with the fact that the story was so strong in the first place. I mean, if you re- if you look at the Carrie novels, it's not long. It's only a couple hundred pages, but uh, it's a very, very tight story, and uh, it was... Like a, a really good adaptation, I think. So, your last choice? Yes, I am going to go for a film that was described as irrelevant, a crashing disappointment, lackluster, ineffective scare movie. It was nominated for zero Oscars, but up for two Razzies for Worst Director and Worst Actress. It was the only adaptation at the time of King's novels that he could remember hating. <laughs> I'm talking about 1980s The Shining. Nice. Now, anybody that's seen The Shining or even knows of it may be very, very surprised to hear about that description. This was not a film that was well received when it first came out. It was flambasted by critics. It didn't have a great success at the box office. And this is a film that nowadays is considered one of the greatest horror films ever made. Mm-hmm. Things sometimes age well. I love The Shining. Um, Stan Jack Nicholson was even slated for his performance in it, as was Shelley Duvall again up for a Razzie this film is just absolute fear from start to finish mm-hmm. oh definitely yeah I'm a massive fan of the novel and the film is very very different tonally, tonally in themes and stuff like that the characterisation, I can see why King wasn't a big fan of it, take it for what it is don't compare it, take it something separate it's just a masterclass in filmmaking and acting. In terms of that, here's Johnny, head for the, the door. It's, it's one of the things you think of when you think of Jack Nicholson. It really is. And you've got the lift opening, the blood, and the twins want Danny to come play with him. I'm not even going to mention much of the plot, to be honest with you, because if you have seen it, you know about it. If you've got an idea of it, you'll get it. But if you've no idea about The Shining, just go and watch it cold. Mm-hmm. and let it unfold because it's an absolute masterpiece of a movie and they're making a sequel which will be out soon starring Ewan McGregor called Doctor Sleep also based on King's novel of the same name that is, mm-hmm. Doctor, that is a direct sequel to Shining and that will be interesting to see how that unfolds and how it kind of works to make a sequel to a film that didn't really need one <laughs> Yeah, well, I've, I've never read Doctor Sleep, so I don't know. I, I, it's one of these things. I've got the book, but I've never actually read it. It's interesting, though, that obviously this is a, a sequel to the book of The Shining, yet the film, uh, if you've seen any of the trailers, it harks back to some of the Kubrick imagery. Yes. Quite heavily in the, the Overlook Hotel um, and uh, young Danny on the, the bike and everything, all that sort of stuff. So it'll be interesting. Obviously, King wasn't all that fond of it, but they're obviously not shy of using mm-hmm. certain elements if they can sell it at all. I think for the most part, he's, he's huff. I listened to a podcast with Stephen King and Eli Roth, and he spoke about it. Mm-hmm. And although he, had, he still has his issues with it, he thought it was a very... How did he describe it? He described it as like a very pretty car. But... With all style, but no, not much substance, not much under the hood. 
Really? That's, that's kind of his metaphor for it, really. And it's, but, yeah. it's, but they speak about it a lot more favourably than I've heard or I've read stuff in the past. So I think he's softened to it a little. Yeah, because it was remade as a miniseries, wasn't it? it Under was. Stephen King's supervision, I believe. Yes, and it's supposed to be a lot more faithful to the book. And yeah. I've heard mixed reviews on it, to be fair. Never seen it, so I, I couldn't possibly comment on it at all. The the Kubrick film is just fantastic. Like you say, it's, it, there's so many uh, iconic moments from it. The, as you say, the Here's Johnny and the twins. Uh, it's interesting that with the, the lights of Doctor Sleep coming back, there's a, a renewed interest in The Shining. And I, I saw online that you can buy um, socks that have the pattern of the carpet <laughs> from the Overlook Hotel because it's such an iconic look. Uh, obviously, it was featured quite heavily in Ready Player One as well. So yes. There's a whole sequence in that. Uh, so that shows how popular, how iconic it actually was that they devoted, I think it was around about a 15, 20 minute sequence in that film to elements of The Shining. So it's, it's obviously quite, it, it still resonates with audiences. And it's one of these films that, it's, like you say, it's, it's timeless. It may not have been popular at the time, same way the Shawshank Redemption took a while to find its audience. It's it's one of these ones that, when you look back on it, you think, why was that not massive at the time? Why did Jack Nicholson not win it? Why did Stanley Kubrick not win an Oscar? But, you know, it's the kind of, you don't know the sort of times you're, uh, you don't know what's good sometimes at, at the time. You just have to wait, wait it out. Exactly. You know, I mean, to, I mean, to read those kind of reviews of it, it's it's surprising to think yep. how like scathing critics were regarding this movie. But um, I mean, it was one more thing. Have you seen that documentary in The Shining? Is that the uh, the one about all the various theories and yeah. landing and all that? Yeah, I've seen that. Yes. Yeah, I won't go into too much detail about it here for a podcast in its own, but it's very interesting. A bit out there, but interesting. That is your choices. Now let's see what you guys have picked out there on social media land. Looking at Facebook first off, Gareth Fraser has went with The Shining, The Shining, and The Shining. <laughs> Barry Slavin has went for Stand By Me, great choice, and The Shining. Graham Campbell says Shawshank Redemption, The Mist, Carrie, The Dead Zone, and The Running Man. David Graham's went for Christine, that's an excellent choice as well, it's such a good film. David Brogan's went for Misery, another great choice. The Shining and Cat's Eyes. Cat's Eyes is a very underrated movie. It's an anthology with James uh, James Woods is in it as well. Um, so is a young Drew Barrymore. Yeah, that's an interesting film. Quite funny as well. Oh, Graham Campbell's came back as well. He's went for TV series uh, 112263, Mr. Mercedes and Castle Rock in Gerald's Game, the Netflix movie. Over to Twitter, we have Bob Steele. Loyal listener, Shawshank Redemption, Misery, Firestarter, Christine, Salem's Lot, the full 1979 TV series, not the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's a very good choice. That's That was one that, it was massive at the time when it came on the TV, because you've got to remember, this is harking back to the time when we had three TV channels. So it's when something like that gets shown, and it was just it was just amazing, because obviously the the, the whole vampire thing about it and mm-hmm. you know having to be invited into the house and all this oh it's very good very good indeed there's another one as well I actually watched it just over Christmas it was on the horror channel the the stand 
the TV version of that. It's a four-part. Yeah, uh, it's very, very good, actually. It's Gary Sinise and Rob Lowe uh, plays a mute in it. <laughs> so one of the most recognisable people from the 1980s doesn't speak in the film mm-hmm. uh, or the TV series at all. It's a four-part thing. It's, it has kind of shown its age a wee bit, but yeah, it's still a really good story. That's another King story that's uh, apparently supposedly getting remade, but it's been in development hell for years and years. Oh, it's getting well. done. Slightly casting. Ah, all right, casting, excellent. Yeah, Good. it's uh, it's definitely on its way. Nice. Our own Mary Palmer has went for Misery in the Green Mile. Ian McDougall yeah. has said he really likes Carrie as well as a remake, but he wasn't a big fan of It Chapter 2. Chris Minoz, Minoz, I don't even pronounce his name, Mary's uh, other half, better half even. <laughs> He's been for The Dead Zone, The Shining, The Mist, Stand By Me and Christine. Michael Mooney has went for Stand By Me and The Green Mile. And Dave Miller has cheekily suggested Maximum Overdrive, which I I want to, I, I, didn't, yeah, I didn't mention it because it's an honourable mention, but it is an original screenplay by King. It's not an adaptation. And <laughs> it's a film that I don't think it's going to be putting the same esteem as a shine in the Shawshank Redemption, but it's a lot of fun. All right. Sounds good. Have you never seen it? I've never seen it, no. no. Do you know the film I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know, but oh, I've just never seen it, yeah. Oh, you need to see it. It's it's crazy. It's, I think Stephen King actually directed it as well. and It's absolutely mental. Nice. But, aye. It's just fun. It's a, it's sure. a, it's a, it's a good laugh. It's a, it's a good, good laugh. Mm-hmm. Stephen King, we salute you. You're an absolute legend. Keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> Looking at some news, the big news recently is revolving around the new Jurassic World movie. Now, just the other week, was it last week even? It doesn't matter, the time you listen to this, you won't even care. They went and released a short film called Battle of Big Rock. And recently, very recently, they've just announced that Sam Neill, Laura Dern and Jeff Goldblum will be re- not only returning to Jurassic World, playing their original roles, they will have major parts in the movie. John, what's your thoughts on this Jurassic World talk? Really excited, to be honest. The second film wasn't as good as the first one, but this looks really good. Uh, I like the fact that Colin Trevorrow is back on board for this. It was uh, was it J.A. Bayona? Yeah, uh, did the last one, which she did. I mean, it was a it was a good movie, but it just it wasn't quite at that height. The eight minute short film is just fantastic. It's really, really good. It's very, very self contained. You know exactly what's going on in it or where where it's going to be going. As in, it, it lives up to its name now in world rather than you know like on a park or on an island or anything like that. So, the fact that these three main characters are coming back as well is just bloody brilliant. Exactly. I, I love uh, uh, Dr. Grant. I thought he was a fantastic character. Not so much in the third Jurassic Park film. That's because uh, the third Jurassic Park film was never made. It doesn't exist. All right, okay. I forgot about that. Sorry. I'm, I'm getting uh, Kazam and Shazam all yeah, that's up again that's... here. Yeah. Um, the dynamic between him and his wife and Jeff Goldblum when they were doing the tour and everything is just brilliant. Jeff Goldblum, you know, He's one of these guys as well. You could sit and watch him do anything. He's such a good actor. So 
interesting to see, and you just kind of you love him for his quirkiness. But Sam Neil can do no wrong. The the, the guy's in his seventies now. He's crazy, he's not he's not a young man, but he's still he, he still looks the part, and he's still doing some great work. I mean, you've only got to look at the last couple of years of did the Taiko Batiti film is it Hunt for the Wilder People. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously he was in Peaky Blinders as well, the first season of that. So he's just spot on. Absolutely brilliant. I, I'm uh, really looking forward to this now. It should be interesting to see. What about yourself? Yeah, definitely. Basically, just going to... Anything I say, it would just be repeating what you said. I'm a massive Jurassic Park fan. I really like Jurassic World. I, Jurassic World 2 Fallen Kingdom is a lot better than second viewing. Mm. A lot better. In many ways, obviously, with JB on his like, background and stuff, a lot of horror elements in it. Absolutely, yes. And, yeah, it's a film that definitely does, uh, did appreciate a lot more second time around. I am looking forward to Chris Pratt's interaction with the original cast. It's great to have the freedom back in the same movie, which they haven't starred in since 1983 Jurassic Park, with mm-hmm. Jeff Goldblum returning for the second one. And Laura Dern and Sam Neill returning for the third one, although Laura Dern's barely in it. And, you know, it's Sam Neill has got a major role, but it's not a great film. And it's going to be forever known for that dream sequence on the plane when a a raptor looks at him and says, Alan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) It's deservedly mocked for that, but so excited for it. I cannot wait. And if you've not seen Little Big Rock, go on YouTube. It's eight minutes long. It's a great short film. Yeah, absolutely. I'm particularly buzzed about uh, Laura Dern because I think she is a fantastic actor. Uh, she was one of the best things about the last Star Wars film and she's consistently good, pretty much everything she does. We made an oath. I swear. If it isn't dead, if it ever comes back, we'll come back to you. We didn't stop it. Pennywise. The clown. <laughs> we can't let it happen again. That is us in terms of another successful, excellent, award-winning, five-star reviewed movie scramble podcast. <laughs> Regarding that five-star review, if you can please go to iTunes or Podbean or wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review, that'd be great. They help us climb the ranks. They help get us noticed and it'll make you feel good about yourself. Before I do finish this podcast, though, I just want to have a wee kind of shameless plug of my own. As we've had this conversation regarding Stephen King and his horror novellas, I have published my own horror novella to Amazon just recently. It's a horror-slasher called One of Us, when a young woman looks to reconnect with her estranged brother, two serial killers... They have their own family therapy planned. Now, this is available on Kindle and paperback on Amazon. One of us, you search it will come up. Please have a look and let me know your thoughts. That'd be fantastic. I know John is a massive fan of it, aren't you, John? Absolutely, yes. Anything that you do, Sammy, I'm a massive fan. But uh, I'm particularly in awe of the fact that you... uh, managed to write a book and get it published as well. I just... um, uh, it's it's beyond brilliant as far as I'm concerned, and uh, yes, you've obviously been getting a lot of uh, particularly favourable buzz about it, and long may it continue. Let's face it. Kindle's only one ninety nine. If you're Kindle Unlimited, it's free. So 
yeah, I'd be really appreciated if you could have a look at that and let us know your thoughts. If you're interested in letting us know what you thought of the podcast or you have any ideas for a future podcast, please contact us at the usual places on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Movie Scramble. And John, what's the email address again? It is podcast at moviescramble.co.uk. If we could receive one email, that would be very nice. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you would know that you would have the pride of knowing that you were the first person to actually email the, uh, the podcast with a request. Uh, and if you are, then the chances are we'll actually do it as long as it's not anything sexual. Exactly. We're looking at doing some uh, bonus podcasts. The Patreon content may include some uh, sexual stuff. We cannot guarantee that. <laughs> uh, joke aside, we're not actually doing Patreon, but we are doing sexy stuff. <laughs> well, I'm like, hoping to do some stuff uh, when I'm away at Seaches, a uh, couple of quick catch-ups if I can find the time, but uh, I'm not guaranteeing anything, but we'll see how it goes. But uh, we'll, we'll let you know through the usual channels if and when there's any extra content coming up. It would only take up about five minutes of your day, which is uh, probably enough of listening to me on my own, to be perfectly honest, but, you know, yes. I think there's more demand for John than he realises. But yeah. yeah. Thanks everybody for listening and downloading. Again, your support so far has been fantastic. I love the fact that you've been uh, giving some good feedback on social media. You've been sharing it with people, you've been telling people about it. We really do appreciate it. And John, as always, thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks a lot. And again, I'll just back up with uh, Semi said. Uh, I've actually some people coming up to me and saying, been listening to what you've been doing, really impressed, really like what you do. So any other feedback that you guys can give us, we're always appreciative and spread the word, let other people know. We need as much, we need our ego stroked as much as possible, don't we? Exactly. Right. Exactly. I love getting my ego stroked. <laughs> oh dear. This <laughs> is the Movies Channel Podcast signing off. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Bye-bye. It's me and the Losers Club has officially begun. We can do this, but we have to stick together. Hello.